call it. Call it, yes. For what? Just call it. Welcome to episode 71 of Call It Friendo, the podcast where usually two friends watch two films decided by the flip of a coin. This week, myself, Andy J. Ritchie, and my co-host, Danica Tiernan, watched The Worst Person in the World, the new film from Joachim Trier. As always, the podcast contains spoilers for the film right from the start. Check out JustWatch.com for streaming and rental options in your region. You can find us on Instagram at Call It Friendo Podcast. Drop us a line there if any feedback or recommendations, please. Live as fuck. Live again. We're back yeah. in pog form. We are back. How's it hanging? Uh, low and heavy. Like a willy. We've got yes. plenty of other things to talk. We about. do. Yeah, we do. We do. We do. I had quite a. I had quite a. Uh, well, not actually. I, I'll say a quiet week for me because I got. I must give a mention to. I got. I got knee deep into a book, and I'm like. <laughs> That's a weird expression. There you are. But it was like, it was one I ordered a while ago because I was listening to a series of interviews with ultra nerd Henry Cavill. And it it arrived and it like looked like the kind of book that I would have sneered at in the fantasy section when I was um, growing up. Because I would have been like, you know, Lord of the Rings or sophisticated stuff. And I would see things like this and be like, whatever. I would like uh, denote it in the sort of way that, you know, I find there are certain genres of music, such as metal, that are probably more about quantity than quality. You know what I mean? Like just a lot of stuff rather than good stuff. Then I started reading this and I discovered that actually I'm a gigantic nerd and I'm into this book so much that it is distracting me from my work during the week. It's, uh, well, I've only been reading it three days. I'm like fucking 300 pages into it. It's ridiculous. uh, That's called, uh, I must give it a shout out, Raymond E. Feist. Magician Apprentice. Oh, I think you sent me a photo of that, right? I did, yeah. But apart from that, I did manage to squeeze some things in. Did you manage to squeeze anything in? I did. Well, we've had two weeks, so some of this stuff I watched last week. Yes. I waited till now to talk about it with anyone. Nice. Kept it to yourself. Good. I don't talk to anyone else about this stuff. (laughs) This is just between me and you. Do you want to go first? Well, you've already done a book. I don't read because I'm, as we've already covered, I'm completely illiterate. Yes. So I can talk about a film that I watched. Do it, please. Well, I went to the cinema a while ago at this point to see Kenneth Branagh's Belfast, his biographical film about the Troubles. Yes. 1969. I don't know if you know this, Donica, but in the northern part, Northern Ireland, there's Mm -hmm. been, for quite a long time apparently, there's been uh, violence and fighting between two groups of Christians. That's right, the yeah. Catholic, the Catholics, 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 and the Protestants. That's correct, yes. Yeah, I didn't know that. But Wait, Why do you a... think, I mean, why did you think I wanted to start this podcast with you? This is another, yet another effort of reconstruction. <laughs> this is one of well, the caveats. Yeah, we're bringing that all together. No, this is one of the caveats there was in the Good Friday Agreement, that there would have to be X amount of podcasts between Catholics and Protestants as they were releasing the, uh, uh, you know, the Unionist and uh, Nationalist terrorists from prison. So I'm just, I'm here ticking a box on behalf of, you know, the peace treaty. I'm, I'm interested, uh, like, I'm interested to hear what you would think of this. I would, I'm very interested to hear what anyone from Northern Ireland would think of this, but I'll just, I'll cover a little bit about it. First of all, I'm going to watch it very soon. Film. You should, I do recommend it. Well, we'll get to that in a second. It's a black and white film, stunning cinematography, 
is a really, really, really beautiful, well-made film. A lot of static camera shots that are composed beautifully like photos. Excellent performances all round, particularly from Katrina Balfe. Balfe. And it's got my uh, main man Hines Ma- in it. Yeah, Kieran Hines is great. He's great. Judy Dench plays his wife. They're the granny and granddad of Kenneth Branagh's little boy character, the lad. It's like it starts with this kind of what almost feels like a fairy tale 1960s Protestant neighborhood where everyone's like, oh, we're all friends together. And then there's this. Ex- and, and, and at first I was like, oh, I don't think I'm going to like this. It feels so almost twee. And then there's it sounds this, a bit like uh, Hope and Glory so far. Uh, okay, I haven't watched that. And then there's there's this explosion of violence, and it's like in black and white, beautiful Molotov mm. cocktail blowing up a car, and just people screaming and shouting. It's so beautifully shot, mm. and it is. I mean, it, it's it's an interesting film. It's very moving. It's kind of audience friendly in a way that might be kind of th- this is what I'm what I'm interested in. It's a Protestant perspective of only Protestant characters talking about the whole situation. See, that and is almost, interesting. Yeah, and on, but almost mm. being like, you know, like, hey, we're we're the good ones. <laughs> we're some of the good ones. There's mm. bad Protestants and good Protestants, and we're the good Protestants, so we're leaving. But there's a dickhead in our neighborhood who's trying to get us all together to go and fuck up Catholics' houses. And if we don't go along with him, he's going to beat us up or kill us. And I don't know enough about the reality of the situation, so I'm just, I just feel like this film wouldn't have been made 20 years ago. Like, I feel like we're at a point now where we're far enough removed, maybe. Mm. But it, I, I really liked it. I think it's worth watching in the cinema. It's very beautiful. It's worth seeing on a big screen. I still could see it if on you a big screen in Barcelona, you know. I could. But I'd be, again, I'd be interested. I haven't looked at any of the... The feedback from people in the like who are in the troubles or anything like that, because hmm. I'd be interested to know what they would make of it. But from an well, outside I mean, perspective, Kenneth Branagh was in the troubles, you know. Well, that's the thing. But I mean, he left when he was whatever age this kid was in the in the film. I imagine yeah, seven yeah. or eight years old or something. I remember hearing him tell this tell this story in an interview. Um, mm-hmm. I believe on the late late show or Parkinson or something like that. I remember him hearing this like like a long, ju- long time ago. You mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, him telling the story of when he like you know left Northern Ireland on account of this sort of stuff. Um, mm-hmm. I believe hottest man in the world, Jimmy Dornan, it plays his dad, right? He's fine. He's absolutely fine. He's uh, what was that film that we saw him in? The Benston Murhead one. Synchronic. Oh yeah, Synchronic. Yeah. Yeah, he's not quite on synchronic form. Nah, nah, he's <laughs> fine. He's great. He, he's totally fine, but he just doesn't, to me, doesn't stand out compared to the, the other people that I mentioned. And the young kid who plays like a young Kenneth Branagh, let's say, he's great. He's very funny. They got a good child actor. And it's, so it's worth watching. It's basically Solid like film. a snapshot of his, of a moment in time. Like, that's the buzz of the film, really, isn't it? I, he, he, yeah. I think it's he wrote it. It's all in 1969 when everything broke out. I think he wrote oh, yeah. it and had it in production within six months he wrote it during covid and had it mm. had it going soon after i suppose he's definitely got enough clout for that kind of thing it can of cost much money it's by far the best film of his that i've seen mm. you know the rest he's of had the, a, his he's time had a bizarre now, career hasn't he he has i mean because you think of him as like he's a shakespearean guy he mm. sort of you know he's done hollywood on and off bits and pieces he did he had like a jack ryan film that yes, he, he made and he was a baddie Right now, at the moment, he's doing all the Poirot stuff. 
which I only saw the first Poirot film of his with his big mm. mustache and that kind of turned me off a bit. I don't really need to see the sequel, I feel, with Russell Brand in it. Yeah, it's a bizarrely uh, unnecessary film, the first one, it yeah. felt like to me. I just so I didn't feel like know. the second's going to be even more of that. But like he's balancing that out with things like this, which are obviously incredibly personal and meaningful mm. to him. So uh, speaking of uh, personal real-life stories, stories with a real-life bassist and super personal, uh, I finished watching, because um, it was coming out week to week, the Seth Rogen and Rob Siegel produced miniseries about Pamela Anderson and Tommy Lee's famous sex tape that emerged in the Ooh, 1990s. So we're not talking about soft penises anymore. No, hell no. Big, massive, hard-talking penises. Yeah, finished watching this show. It's called Pam and, uh, Pam and Tommy. Uh, it got a bit of infamy, let's say, by the fact that uh, Pamela Anderson very much came out against it. And she's since signed up to make her own Netflix documentary about the subject, so, so to have her take on it, so it's fine. Uh, the titular two were played by Lily James, who's just basically transformed into... Pamela Anderson, it's fucking bizarre. When you said the titular two, that's not what I thought you were talking about. Hey. Uh, and then Sebastian Stan, the hot-ass winter soldier himself, yeah, playing Tommy great. Lee. To backtrack on her feeling, like uh, she said she's against it, she feels violated by the show, etc. I would backtrack to the kind of conclusion we came when we uh, spoke about Nitrum, which is that the fact remains, this is a very interesting story. And uh, kind <laughs> so of, it's okay then. <laughs> it's kind of, yeah, that's where I would land on it, honestly. It's so you're all... equating, you're equating like a murdering psychopath of low IQ with Nitrum. No, I'm just kidding. You're, <laughs> you're equating the, those two people. Well, I get you're equating the victims of a murderer with, well, Pamela Anderson. Pamela Anderson. Kind yes. of being involved in. Did she choose yeah. to release a sex tape? I don't feel like she did. Did she? No, I guess she did that not. might have been covered in the film. So it was released against Will. Anyway, let me get, yeah, get around so to that's, it. So first of all, you've I, don't, got... I don't want to be pulled in with the like the same thing. The same. No, <laughs> you, no. The same first of all, I'm not equating the victims Nitrum. of okay. Nitrum's or Martin, whatever the fuck his name is. I'm not uh, equating the victims Tiernan of his massacre with Pamela Anderson. <laughs> I'm equating the telling of real-life stories and how the people involved in those real-life stories might okay. feel about them. That's what I'm equating. Thank you. And the fact of the matter is, it actually is a, it's a... It's an interesting exploration of at least two things. One being... One, it's kind of zeroed in on moment one of how permanent the web seems to be and how much there's no... And the thing is, it, it, this is... In, in the early days of this tape, this just involved analog copying of the tail and se- of the tape and selling it in, in parking g- uh, garage and shit <laughs> <remember>. like that. <laughs> right, okay, fair enough. And then the other thing is it actually it's sat in in tandem beside me and uh, just makes you feel re- so maybe you wouldn't like it makes you feel really nasty about porno to be honest. <laughs> I have to say one thing that is uh, that is they do slightly unfair in this show is they depict Without fail, everybody who is depicted as watching pornography is like a big fat incel, <laughs> and every single one of them seems to like ritualistically do it, like sit on their sit on their sofa with a packet <laughs> of tissues and a gigantic bottle of lube. Um, <laughs> some mad incidents go on, but basically, it's the story of um, 
what you might call it, Seth Rogen's disgruntled construction worker, a guy named Ran Gauthier, who goes back to their house, burgles it, finds the tape, and uh, finds a way to get it out there by way of uh, some porn magnate that he knows. But, like, it evolves, and some very interesting thing happened in it, happen in it, and in the end, it kind of evolves as just like a sort of a really, really sad situation, because that's the sort of third factor in it. It's saying it's two big things. Like, definitely, how fast the tape multiplies is sort of a little analogous to the you know internet butterfly effect and how permanent everything is and it's also an examination of exploitation and pornography but what really sells it and takes it's probably one episode too long but what really gets you over the finish line is you really really believe in the love story between the two whatever for whatever that's worth and then i read the article it's based on afterwards based on a rolling stone article and like like 90 percent of what's depicted in the show is real it's true I would, like, it's also, it was, um, most of it was directed by uh, your man, what's his name, uh, Craig Gillespie, who did uh, I, Tanya. Oh, yeah. So yeah, he's yeah. kind of, he's playing home games with this kind of subject matter, I, f- I would say. Um, <laughs> he's saying crazy ladies. Uh, well, she, ta- drama. I, Tanya had Called a sex famous tape drama. Tanya Harding, yeah, yeah, maybe. Oh, yeah. Famous real life drama with smut, let's say. Yeah, and um, massive willies all over the place, if that's your thing. I would recommend this to people. I, I quite enjoyed it. I feel it got swept under, uh, swept away a little in, in its own controversy. But uh, when the dust settles, I'd say this one is worth a watch. Well, I, uh, I rewatched something that we've previously talked about. Go for I, it. I went to my local blockbuster and I took one of the VHS boxes off the shelf and printed on it in large letters was Spider-Man No Way Home. Oh, wow. I rewatched that. Wow. Which, uh, it feels like it hasn't really been long enough for a rewatching of, like, a big tentpole film like that. Mm-hmm. And I c- I'm struggling to remember exactly, did you have some problems with it? Some beef with it. it? Yes, yeah. it did. Because let me just say that your beef bubbled and popped to the surface this time round. Yeah. Because my... on, on a second on. watching, it is almost entirely fan service. It, it became very apparent. Right. That okay. It's barely a film. I was saying you, exactly I think that. You did exactly say this. I know I, this, yeah. that's what this podcast is, is me coming to you like three <laughs> months after something going like, oh, yeah, you're right about that. Uh, well, okay. Again, you're right. Like, this uh, yeah, is a I film remember that does enjoying not it, hold but I remember, up for like rewatches, I think. I remember multiple times during the films, like going, is th- are we even watching a movie? What is this? This is yeah. bizarre. Yeah, yeah, okay. I'll Honestly, like the way that crazy. the villains, uh, minor spoilers again for Spider-Man No Way Home if you haven't seen it, but the way the villains are in- introduced and then the Aunt May scene and then when the Peters are introduced, it genuinely just feels like some kind of box ticking exercise with memes inserted throughout. Yeah. It's yeah. not, not going to hold up well long term. It's constructed out of exactly what everybody wanted to see. I do remember you saying this at the time. (laughs) Me maybe arguing against, pushing back against it a little. Now with uh, having had a bit of time to think about it in three months and a rewatch, by God, there's still lots of fun moments with the the Spider-Man. That's a lot of fun. The villains, not so much. Like Mm. Lizard barely appears in it. Yeah, why is he there? Yeah, it's, Uh, it's... and uh, yeah, in Sandman as well, it has, has about three. Yeah, lines. that was it's, mental. <laughs> so it's just is, <laughs> and uh, that must and and you know how much money did that make? Like a 
more more than a billion dollars. But uh, which for me, give, like I would give all the more props to something like uh, the Batman, and it was almost a little bit why why I wailed on it for including the Joker at the end. But I've since come to terms with that. I actually really want to see the Batman again. But um, they, I feel, I think they went down a completely different route. Really, than than anything we've. Seen. It's well, no, actually, mm-hmm. let's say it sort of fused the Burton vision with the uh, Nolan vision a little bit, didn't it? Mm-hmm. Anyway, yeah, it did. Well, I'm glad Tell to me be about right. One of years again, yeah. Sad you burnt. Sad you burnt two and a half hours. Yeah, shut up. Let's just skip over that. <laughs> so I watched three Pixar films. I'll talk through them all in one little segment here. So, well, the first was one of my favorite Pixar, Pixar films. Corner. There we are. We're here in Pixar Corner. After actually having watched the third of these that I'll mention, I thought about maybe I'll do a whole Pixar rewatch. I was like, no, come on. There's not time for that. You know, you know what's <laughs> good and you know what's not. Why would you do that? Anyway, so I rewatched Ratatouille, which is one of my favorite Pixars and still is. I think that's just an absolutely charming film that, I, I don't know, gets me in the guts in all the right ways. I mean, you've seen Ratatouille, have you? Yeah, I only watched that for the first time a couple of years ago. Brad Bird, it. written and directed, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm a big fan. I liked his Mission Impossible movie. I watched another one of his movies uh, in the last couple of weeks as well. I just think it's absolutely terrific. They do something really interesting visually when they're trying to convey taste, like the taste when he eats a, some cheese and a grape, and they have these little nice little swirls around the screen. It, it actually really reminded me of um, Amadeus when Salieri is describing why Mozart's music is so brilliant. And then he like, just goes, and then, out of nowhere, an oboe. And the, you hear the oboe. It's kind of <laughs> like that, like with uh, Patton Oswalt's little uh, rat describing all the flavors and shit. Yeah, I had a blast with this again, again and again. And um, then, soon after that, I watched Pixar's newest film, Turning Red, written and directed, well, co-written, directed, by uh, Demi Shi, who had previously um, made that uh, Pixar short called, I think it's called Bao, about a lady who makes oh, dumpl- yeah. dumplings and one of them's her kid or something like that. I wasn't a big fan of that one. Oh, I liked it. I thought it was quite quite cool, quite interesting. I didn't understand um, it. It was too high bribe for me. This I did not enjoy, uh, really. And I'm a huge Pix- fan of Pixar films generally. I think they've just got, they've got so many that seem to sort of stick to a winning formula. Initially, it wasn't. Now, it's not just that I was a bit miffed that they definitely fucked with the formula completely, but it's also it's just I don't know. I, I found and now I'm not saying they did anything cynical here. Like I'd often include. What did you like, wait? Let me just ask you a quick question. What did you not like about this film with uh, with uh, large, largely Asian cast and characters? What was it that you didn't like about it? Okay, if well, you had to me, choose one thing, first of all, I'll yeah, give you a wee summary. Racist. So. It's got this little lady, uh, May Lee, who's a Canadian, a Chinese Canadian girl living in Toronto, and she's got all her mates, and they're all obsessed with this boy band, and she's got an overbearing mother, who um, owns a sort of a an ancestor temple. Anyway, then she gets her period, or it seems like she's going to be getting her period, but it's actually not that. Around the time, it, there's a family curse where all the all the women. When they become adolescents, if they get embarrassed or in any way emotionally charged, they turn into a giant red panda. And then You're not selling this to me. Yeah, well, I wasn't. Some people liked it. I just really wasn't on board. And then they decide. Her and her friends decide to monetize this um, by like having the her going to parties as the panda and get pictures taken as the panda. 
um, in order to get tickets, in order to get tickets to this concert with this boy band. Anyway, they, they have this whole like plot cooking up. But so you've got BTS metaphors on like metaphors, and I don't know. There's maybe there's against cultural appropriation and you know embracing who you are, etc. But it just really, really did not work for me. And Pixar have had some far out things that really the pieces did come together for me on it. And I'll, I'll put it to you like this: Do you know this? Like, have you seen Inside Out? Yes. So in In- Inside Out, they had the idea for it, probably like a long time, eight or nine years before the film came out. They spent four years on it and pretty much trashed it and started from scratch because they weren't where they wanted to be. A similar thing happened with Toy Story 2. They completely de- like just tossed it in the bin and started mm. it again from scratch. Toy so Story guys, 2 was okay. I love Toy Story. I think, I think Toy Story 2 is very good. So they have a just a sort of a perfectionism and a, a working process. It's one of the reasons Bill Hader wanted to go and intern there when he was already a successful, famous guy. It's a true story. He just wanted to hang around Pixar. That's how he got involved in Inside Out, actually. I just think that this one could have definitely done with longer on the boil. Part of it is due to the fact that when they reveal the family curse and how all the women have dealt with it throughout, it's kind of... Isn't that like mental load or something that they're going for there? Something like that, but it, it like I don't know. They, like then the metaphors don't fully arrive home, and then it kind of just chucks the metaphors that they're going for and the thematics that mm. they're going for to the side in favor of a big sort of a finale. And they try and deliver some emotional punch with it, with something happening with the mother, but they really don't close the arcs that they start out with. Which, to be fair, I think it, I thought it was a silly enough premise to begin with, anyway. Which so I wasn't fully on board with it, but then when they kind of lost faith in it themselves by the end, I was kind of yeah, whatever. Not really my cup of tea. I'd say it was one of Pixar's weaker ones, to be honest. So then to make up for that, I watched one of Pixar's greatest ones, which was uh, Brad Bird's other film, The Incredibles. Now The Incredibles, I mean, I know I have a prejudice against imagination, animation generally, but Brad Bird's The Incredibles is a film that is close to you know can't do any wrong in my book. (laughs) Uh, I first saw this because I went on a date with a lady to see uh, the Japanese film, The Grudge, which was too scary for me. So we went into The Incredibles. True story. I love it fucking top to bottom. This time it had an extra added dimension for me, obviously, because I've become a father. It really made me cry hard on two occasions. But not just that. It's also like, if you really want to see just a crowning example of the Pixar glory days, watch particularly that I would say because it's a it's a superhero film but it's not a superhero film it's a family film it's a, literally about family and the jokes are one a minute like and all like f- really really firing on, on all cylinders the voice cast are excellent Jason Lee in particular yeah, you kind of remind me of the Jason Lee character that's what I was thinking of Syndrome I remind you of yeah, Syndrome. Syndrome oh he's Syndrome. such a dick I mean, the Incredibles predicted the incel movement by fucking about <laughs> about fifteen years or so, uh, whenever the film was made. Because he is yeah. just that he is sitting down on a couch with a VHS to watch Tommy <laughs> Lee and Pamela Anderson make love <laughs> on their honeymoon for sure. I think it. I know Syndrome actually. He's a really good friend. <laughs> He's of mine. a good guy. You know, I used to exchange emails of him <laughs> back in two thousand and four. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> he used he used to, he used to buy diet energy drinks off. Yeah. Um, <laughs> <laughs> anyway, yeah, I wasn't a big fan of Turning Red, but uh, The Incredibles still fucking rules. I had a great time with it. Just what did sincerely. you think of the sequel to that? I saw that in the cinema. I, I did not care for the second yeah, one. Yeah, it wasn't strong. I thought I thought it, like, I think one of the major um, 
hoops the Toy Story films managed to dive through really successfully up until Toy Story 4 was they made the, s- the sequels somehow seem worth it. They seem they had a, mm. a raison d'etre. Raise the stakes a bit. And um, I think The Incredibles just did it too, is a complete rehash of Incredibles 1. It's not interesting to me. Yeah. Anyway, right. what else have you Pixar. been watching? Donica's Pixar Corner. If only I had some kind of childish theme music. I, would, I feel I'd like you're it. capable of creating some. <laughs> yeah, I know, but I don't <laughs> That's too much effort. I guess we can do this. There you go. Nice. I'll accept Enjoy. it. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I finished two TV series is, is, is seasons. So uh, I'll I'll very there there are things we've mentioned before, and I've certainly mentioned when I'd watched one or two episodes of them. First mm-hmm. up, I finally finished the MacGruber series. It took me a long fucking time, is what I'll say. And it was just a case of, like, too much of a good thing. It really was. I mean, you're talking about, like, eight times 20 minutes. What's that? (laughs) Two hours 40? I can't count. (laughs) It's a long time. So, like, you know, there's one hour too much material there, probably, that could be chopped down. And that's just the problem. It's like... There's a lot of really, really funny things that I'll take away with me and would reference if anyone had ever seen it. But overall, there's just too much padding. It just it doesn't it doesn't hold up, unfortunately. But still, there's enough there's enough good there that if you like the film, you might as well watch it. But better than that, though, I really enjoyed. I finally finished Yellow Jackets. Season oh, one. right, nice. Okay, yeah. let's get into it. How'd you feel about it? I really enjoyed it. Uh, I really, uh, it took me a little while to get into it, but once I was into it, I was really, really looking forward to the next episode. I was interested mm. in the mystery. I was flying through it. Uh, it's not quite top tier television for me. There's just something lacking. I don't know yes. what it is. Something of the script potentially, or some of the some of the choices that they make are just lacking the the highest level of quality. But it's still well, a very, very solid show. I think some of the decisions that the characters make, particularly in the present, are not ones that I buy. Yeah, it's. I think it's quite difficult. Well, I mean, the, my biggest problem with the show is I'm worried. We've talked about this before, I think, but I'm worried that they've written themselves into a kind of how I met your mother artificial limitation yes. where they know that yeah, the girls sure. were out in the wilderness for a year and a half, but they mm. want to do a five season arc. And the five season arc fills me with fear. Because realistically, mm. they should have already reached the end of the like of that year and a half in the wilderness in a first season, as far as I'm concerned. Like, yeah, and they were renewed for a second season without having completely solidified their idea for a season two and for future yeah. seasons. They had like vague ideas, but when they found out that they'd got a season two, the 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 creators were like, "Oh shit! Oh fuck! Let's yeah, yeah, start yeah. writing something." hastily uh, shot I, the final scene yeah yeah i'm not a big fan of lord of the flies or or lost but i do mm. like the whole two time periods thing as we've enjoyed in station 11 and a few other things i agree with your uh criticism of uh juliette lewis i can and understand she's she's not yeah she does feel like she's in a different show than everyone else she's mm. nothing like the young version of her that, no uh, she's Sophie not that's a major Thatcher. issue for me but I don't know if they're. I don't know if they're trying to cover that up with. Hey, Addiction. she's been in. Yeah, she's been yeah, a yeah. junkie for years. She's been to rehab, but she's nothing like the young version of her. No, I just think that they wrote a young character that was kind of like what people think of Juliet Lewis as being like, and that's what they did. Yeah, 
But uh, one thing I'll say for this show is excellent intro scene, like title, title scene and uh, music. I really, this is a, this and Peacemaker are two shows where I never skip the credits. I still so have say, to watch an, even a minute of Peacemaker. Can we I'm just take a moment through Peacemaker to consider I'm really that enjoying it? There's just too much fucking stuff it's right far now. Far too much. There's oh far my too god, much it's good stressful. Right now. Far like, too much good stuff. I've got a list of 2022 stuff that is ah, it's it's upsetting me. I need to write yeah. an airport thriller so I don't have to work, so I can just catch up on everything. That's what it needs to be. That's the only thing. Ugh. Anyway, maybe we should just in the future one of these episodes we should just have a week where we choose a, a season of TV. <laughs> Oh, I'd <laughs> Sit love down to do and that. watch a season of TV like we did with Reacher. Oh, we'll yeah, that, I've got a few ideas on that score, but not not, not for now, anyway. One, one thing I did really like about um, Yellow Jackets is towards the end of their like the, the well towards the end of the sequences in the past. Let's say when our main girl, who's like your atypical hot girl, you know. She's the best friend of uh, Lady in the Future. I should learn the names, but it was a few weeks ago when I watched it anyway. You know the one I'm talking uh, about? Jackie. Yes, Jackie, right. And I love anything where they do a good job of showing you, of undoing the illusions you had when you were a teenager and looking at the cool, <laughs> popular kids in, in school. I love when there's a good job done of that, of just really revealing to people. like Because stuff that... Eighth grade was a big one for me with that, the um, Bo Burnham film that kind of looked back on cool kids in school and made you realize, oh, yeah, but that's that's all there was for them, really. Like, because I know a lot of the cool kids and how they ended up from my school. And I feel like that They're scene where she's hosting conf- podcasts. Hell no. Which <laughs> is not interesting people. Do you know what I mean? Like when she confronts Jackie, because the thing is, as the series goes on, Jackie is the least interesting character by a fucking mile. And then she just tries to go off and shag Juliet Lewis's fella for the fuck of it because she's a bitch. But like, I don't know. I do I like. Know. It, I never had. To, I never. I. I think what happened. Okay, mild spoilers for Yellow Jackets, but I think Jackie got dealt a harsh hand. She did. I liked her. I thought I don't. I wouldn't say she was hor- horribly uninteresting. The other characters seemed to think so. I thought she was fine. She got a hard time of it. I don't judge her. She's not the worst person in the world. Psychedelic sequences were very good, weren't they? Much better than the psychedelic sequence in World Worst Person in the World. I'm not trying to segue into Worst Person in the World. I <laughs> genuinely, the I thought the psychedelics in Yellow Jackets were, yeah, it was handled reasonably well. Although, as I say, I'm not a big fan of Lord of the Flies or Lost. So the supernatural elements when people are like, you know, the group of girls maybe potentially trying to murder and eat each other. Mm. Not such a huge fan of, but the ending of Yellow Jacket season one, no spoilers, but it sets up like a, a what should be like Intriguing. the ending. Yeah, the last thirty seconds of the season sets up season two in a way that you're like, oh, I'm really looking forward to seeing that. Yeah, uh, for okay, sure. My, mild spoilers. My, let's say that no spoilers for Yellow Jackets, but the Lottie character apparently they've cast uh, Shannon Sossaman. I heard as adult Lottie. Wow. Yeah, Shannon Sossman from Shannon uh, Rules Monster. of a, uh, Rules of Attraction, right? Yeah, yeah, that's right. She was in that. She was in uh, A Knight's Tale with Heath Ledger. Oh yes, she was. She was in Kiss Kiss Bang Bang as well. She's so beautiful in A Knight's Tale. Right, I got two more. I'm gonna drop on. Okay, you. fire away because I'm done. 
I watched Badlands and Days of Heaven, the first, uh, the first two films of uh, esteemed filmmaker Terence Malick. Yeah, I've kind of had it in my head to get through his whole filmography ever since a couple of. Had you seen? Was this the first time you were watching these? No, I watched these years ago. Um, but only I think only once each. Uh, I had kind of been into the idea of doing a Malik rewatch since a few years ago. I rewatched um, what should we call it? the Tree of Life, and um, I thought like because I hated it when I saw it in the cinema. I watched it second time around. I thought it was transcendental, fucking amazing. So I says, okay, right, I'm gonna eventually get around to try and understanding Malik because I had enjoyed uh, Badlands and Days of Heaven before, but I don't. I still don't think on the right level. First of all, the most interesting question about the two films is why make these two films? Who does this? They're strange stories. Like well, he made Badlands in what, nineteen sixty nine though? Nineteen seventy two. Seventy two. Yes. Uh, set um, like kind of based loosely on a um a crime spree in the nineteen fifties by a teenage killer guy named uh, Charles something. Charles Stock Charles Killington. Charles Stockfeather, I'm gonna say. Some it's a weird <laughs> name. Anyway. No, because I was reading an awful lot about it, having watched the film. But he injects into that story, that frame, kind of something about, like... Well, first of all, have you ever read Joyce Carol Oates' short story, uh, Where Are You Going, Where Have You Been? No, you know I don't read. Well, you used to, and that's a very famous one. I know, but not a short story. Anyway, so it's about this this young girl who's uh, at home, her parents have gone out, and these two kind of up-to-no-goods drive up to the house and just by just kind of convince her to come out of the house and come with them, right? And a very similar thing happens in Badlands, of course. Sissy Spacek's character is just a sort of a nice girl, and they're both very archetypical. She seems just quite innocent and spacey, and he seems, like, dangerous and James Dean-like. So of course, Martin Sheen. Martin Sheen, yeah. Yeah. He's incredible in it. Um, I watched that a long time ago. They're both incredible in it. The dialogue is poetic at all times. It's shot beautifully. You can see the beginnings of the style he would eventually come to represent, which is just shooting mundane things and cutting them into the dialogue sequences. And then goes to a very, very interesting place that actually reminded me of one of my old comedy bits. So they go on this... They go on a killing spree, essentially, and they kill a bunch of people. Doesn't remind me of your comedy bits. But she she is kind of at the start, completely sort of besotted with him, and then eventually she gets sick of him, and then she just says, all right, fuck off, whatever. And I do this I do this sort of bit where I say that when I was 13, I looked at ladies, and I was like, what What kind of guys do the ladies like? Oh, they, they like guys who smoke drugs and drink at the weekend and have poor personal hygiene. Damn it, that's what I'm going to do. Then I developed myself, and, you know, I, I picked up all those bad habits, and then got some ladies, but then when I turned 18... They all, all the ladies went, uh, oh no, we want architects now. That's uh, We're done with that stage of our life. And you get to see Sissy Spacek's character in her model, in her like narration, she says, and I made a promise to myself that I would marry a nice insurance salesman and settle down in the Midwest. And then they, uh, he has to abandon their car and she goes, I don't want to go with you. And you could just see in his face, he's like, fucking bitch, I did all this for you and you're, you're abandoning me. But like, it's just a really... Interesting. Like, I think that I genuinely think I got the film finally. I think that's what Malik is going for this. Uh, he's examining this strange predicament that, like, in youth, we sort of find ourselves, which is we want to be James Dean or Bonnie and Clyde on the run. And then all of a sudden the dust settles and we're like, ah, James shit. James Corden. James Corden. Yeah, you want to be James Dean, but it turns out you're James Corden. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's the reality for me. <laughs> <laughs> 
Days of Heaven then, which was released a, f- a few years later before he took his 20 years off sojourn. Uh, he Apparently he was working on stuff, but not working too hard, I would say, is, is the way it transpired. Um, <laughs> yeah, but then he's made like a film every five minutes since yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. Tree of Life. He's been working heavy since then. But um, no, that, so Days of Heaven is a different story. Because in the years leading up to I World feel War like II. I I've seen it, but I don't remember. I'm not sure if I have seen Days of Heaven. Well, it's like about a, a, a love triangle between Richard uh, Gere, uh, some lady, and no, um, Sam Shepard. So it mm-hmm. starts off in the years leading up to World War II, and um, Richard Gere, the lady, uh, they pretend to be brother and sister, um, just so not to be bothered on the road. They're not married or anything. And Richard Gere's younger sister, they all kind of just hit the old Dusty and uh, take off across uh, to Midwest America to help with um, the harvest. Um, and it's all shot at magic hour and all beautiful. And there's yeah, looks beautiful. fires in fields and locusts and all sorts of stuff. Um, and there's this, again, beautiful narration throughout. That's I don't know, it's exploring similar themes, but different. One thing that really struck me is there's this uh, amazing opening sequence with a sequence with all these photos from the era. And then the, he does really effectively make you think like, oh, these are, I'm watching the lives of actual black and white photos here. You know what I mean? He kind of puts puts a personality on the past because okay, not every okay. At the center of you've got fucking Richard Gere and Sam Shepard, who are two fucking hot pieces of ass. But most people look like very of the era, and um, it's quite interesting for that. And how I, the hell is it only ninety four minutes long? What happened to the other ninety minutes of it? What do you mean? Well, like, what? It's just crazy to me that he was making ninety-minute films yeah, at this point. The first two, the first, his first two films are ninety minutes. Yeah, pair, it was Badlands around that. Yeah. yeah, 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 exactly. And then, um, sure, yeah, Thin Red Line must be close to three hours. New World, and he cut and, a ton out of, the, of of that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Anyway, I'm gonna continue on with this uh, Malik rewatch, but probably at the same pace as him. So, if the podcast lasts for twenty <laughs> years, we'll get to yeah. the Thin Red Line. I'll just pop right out there and say it. What did you think of The Worst Person in the World? I enjoyed it. I have seen it. This is a film that is being lauded everywhere. Do you think people are misunderstanding it? Uh, I feel like I've seen it. I mean, I, I read an article in The Guardian or The Observer today, which was an interview with Renata, Renata Reinschwer, mm-hmm. yeah, the, the main actress who plays Julia. Julia. And uh, it seems to be they're praising this film as like a feminist film. Uh, I don't like think one it the, is. Well, I know, me neither. But one of the quotes is like, this, this character is, is living a life that is normally observed in men. It's usually male characters who get to do this kind of stuff. But it's, a, it's an overwhelmingly sad movie. <laughs> it's, it's also so written, sad. I, when I was watching it, I was kind of going like, "It's written by two men," and I'm not really the person who would who would comment on that or the relevance of that. But I was kind of like, "Yeah, is this." Yeah, I'm surprised people ladies, haven't. To be is honest, this what you want to? This where you're taking? It's the one you it want? It kind of it. It's like a Norwegian version of Sex in the City, like the very Scandinavian, all the you know neurosis and doubt that creeps up in it. But overall. First of all, I would say this. I would recommend people watch this film. I think it's like actually more than an awful lot of things you would watch. It speaks to a very modern predicament. Um, yeah, it's uh, people. This is a sort of modern malaise of people being unsatisfied with everything. 
yeah of uh you know of uh, all these things that people have spoken about so much in the last few years the dangers of social media i mean i a lot of the things that happened to this to the to the main actress are mm. things that i have definitely done <laughs> mm. i've done like the male version of that so i can't it's hard for me to really comment i'm older than yeah most of the characters here i'm not older than axel but you know so I've kind of, you know, I've sort of done most of this stuff. I feel like most people probably have and they can, they, you know, it, it speaks to the human experience. Not you because you're a good person, Donica, but us <laughs> bad people, us worst people. I was a very bad person for a, lo- for a long time. I feel yeah. I could beat you over the head with the bad stuff probably. I've done. Probably. Um, but I feel like, I don't know. I mean, you've got this main character who's, she's working her way through the experience of, modern life the modern world she's it's hard for her to find fulfillment but mm. i don't this i i'm gonna say something controversial i as i said i'm older than than all mm. than most of these characters but like when i quit drinking so many of these problems for me immediately disappeared but as i say i'm also older and i lived all of those mistakes and i did all that bullshit but as soon as i quit drinking so well, many yeah. of those things disappeared. I mean, alcohol is is a very effective that, that, way that fueled it, and you see that in this. Like people yeah. are fucking caning it. It's Norway. It, like I mean, it's such. It's a very very effective way to just uh, beat your neuroses asleep. Mm. And you know, sometimes people are neurotic people, but I mean, sometimes probably sometimes it's, it might be worth listening to your neuroses or working through them, meditating on them. But alcohol is so effective at just going nah. Well, no, we'll just do the other I thing. I find, like, I mean, I find the first three months of getting sober, this is, we're back, it's, you're back with the sobriety hour with Andy mm. and Donica. I find the first three months of getting sober incredibly difficult. I mean, this is all, if, uh, you know, anyone mm. who is, who's done that, you know, the, kind of, this is what most people will tell you, mm. but like, because you have to deal with all the shit that you were trying to mask <laughs> when you were drinking it's yeah. suddenly at the forefront of your mind and so it takes it's like a, it takes three months to sort of start to deal with it and, well, and then yeah. it took me like another three months to feel normal after that but it was all those kind of things it was all those all the things that would have in the past pushed me to press the red kind of self-destruct button blow up relationships and shit like that yeah, no, and full disclosure, I didn't. It, it did not uh, last as long as Glorious Andy here, but I'm on a lengthy sabbatical sort of now at the moment and counting the days away again. Um, but I never went fully back into the depths of where I was at, and now I'm just kind of on a bit of a, a health kick. But one thing I will say to chime in with what you were saying there is, yeah, about for uh, like about two or three months in, just overwhelming depression from thinking about who I really was. It was like, really, I was living on Reddit forums with people telling me, yes. you get you get past that. You do get yeah. past that. Just so... You do. You do. Just like looking at like my, my wife and my life and just thinking, I just don't deserve... What the hell? I'm just the worst person in the world. I'm the worst well, that, person yeah, in the world. There you go. That's, That's where it. the title That's of the it. film comes from, for sure. Yeah, absolutely. Um, but then I find it... The thing about that, what's hard for me is like... I mean, I can recognize all of these things because they're things that I did. I made all these similar mm. mistakes. I've done all of these things. But like, I've also seen it from the other side now where I'm kind of like, oh, it's so easy to solve this. Just don't do it. But yeah. like, <laughs> it took me a long fucking time to figure that out. Just I don't mean, do that. Like, okay, so get, obviously spoilers right from the start, but like the whole cheating section of this film yes. is alcohol. That yes. is alcohol. There's nothing more than that. Yes. 
if she just didn't drink, that all goes away. Yes. And it's also <laughs> like, you know, totally. Um, it's like, you know, um, any doubts you might have, let's just chuck those out the window and let's just sort of have fun. Let's all be 21st century cisgender fuckboys, you know? For me, the most interesting thing about it is I don't feel... I feel what this film is talking about is so real that the film does not feel like it's sitting in judgment. It's so recognizable and so real that it's not sneering. It's kind of... It's really diagnosing a, a predicament yeah. that I don't know. Uh, like, it, like, it is... Like I said, I found it overwhelmingly sad. Like, and I was finding it funny... And then I was kind of feeling, oh, some of this humor is kind of, it's just hitting a brick wall with me, really. And then I realized there were still little bits of whimsy and fun in it, but I was just, I just found it so fucking sad. And in a good way, I did find, I did find this really effective. I think, uh, I think I th- people I, yeah. should watch it. I same. would recommend I would people watching it. But I would, I would warn people before watching it as like, this could, it's like when they warn people, like, you know, like, let's say, Pieces of a Woman that came out last year. I wouldn't have, I could not go near that movie because... Hey, my own daughter had a difficult enough birth and it's about something like that and I was, just would not have gotten near it. I would warn an awful lot of people that they could be triggered by recognizing themselves in the pages yeah, of the script. Yeah, maybe, because I, I find myself... But that's the thing. I was able to watch it and go like, oh, I used to do stuff like this mm. <laughs> and I could could distance myself from it. But yeah, if you're like still experiencing that, if you're going through it, like, I mean, there's a real difference between men and women in this film or the the experience... That, that this type of film shows in that. It might be a little bit dude's rock, is it? No, I just mean that I, I wasn't going to say that. I was going to say that, like, because we're not able to, you know, have children, because exactly. we don't give birth, it's yeah, yeah. a huge difference in in experiences. But that's why I there's think... There's no time, there's no, there's, no, there's no clock on for men. I generally. think it's really ballsy to express that to be honest and i think they do it delicately enough like i said i don't think it stands in judgment but like look at the epilogue of the film which we will get to i mean yes that like and particularly because it's her tit of an ex-boyfriend you know what i mean like that's significant in in the case of it you know and that kind of thing happens all the time i can you know all these things are so recognizable you can go like oh i know people who Mm. did this who that who had the same experience I I've know been, people who took mushrooms and then pulled out their tampon and rubbed period blood <laughs> over their face, and we've all been there. I've been trying to, um, I've been trying to find interviews with the director about this film. Maybe not trying hard enough because I would love to hear from his point of view where it's coming from. Because I've seen one of his other films. I didn't realize until after the film. I saw. Um, Why well, I do? I, I I find something. For, I did find a statement from Joachim Trier about the film. Oh, go for it. Let me read it. He said, "Please." For a long time, I wanted <laughs> to make a film about love, one that goes a bit deeper than normal on-screen love stories, where everything is so simple, the story is so clear-cut, the feelings are admirably ambiguous, unambiguous. A film that will look seriously at the difficulties of meeting someone when you're struggling to figure out your own life, at how irresolute and uncertain even the most rational and otherwise self-confident people can become when they fall in love, and how complicated it is even for romantics when they actually get what they have been dreaming about. I guess there's something of that. I mean, that that's kind of what you were describing of like yeah. just the, mod- the modern condition, people not sure what they want, not, and when they get what they want, suddenly they're like, oh, it's not enough. It's not what I thought it was. I've seen so many people get what they think they want and then go like, oh shit, no, I didn't want that at all. But then there's the, the there's also the thing that it's like, I suppose 
I I don't know where I kind of picked this up on. Maybe because I'm actually currently in the only relationship I've ever really been in. Sorry, other girls, if you're listening, that I called my girlfriend. I cheated on you relentlessly and I did not like you. But, like, it came... I did kind of realize very early on that you need to kind of work at relationships. That's the thing. Um, and I think... That's what an, they say. I think an awful lot of the modern perspective is that it should be easy. And if you think that, I mean, what, like like any, like even people from, you know, the, who are the children of very happy marriages could have acknowledged that there were times when they were growing up probably where it just were like, oh my God, do do you guys even like each other at all? But you know what I mean? <laughs> you work on it and stuff like that. And I, I, I think that that's one of the things that gets to be like, well, again, we'll get to it. But when she reunites with um, her, her boyfriend, the artist, that is Axel. so fucking sad. It's eh, just... It just didn't bother me. No? Oh, God. I don't know. I, I recognize... Well, it's sad. It's sad in what way? I find what I find Like, I didn't sad. cry or anything. Like, like, and I wept twice during The Incredibles. It wasn't that, like... It didn't play my emotional strings or anything like that. I was just watching... Because the thing is, it's not that I thought the characters were so dense. I, I just think that they were nailing something that is really, really true for a lot of people, particularly women. Which aspect? What, which aspect? Do you mean that she felt like she should have been with him? Well, I I do think she missed the opportunity to have children with him. She didn't recognize. She missed they, the opportunity. Everything was laid out exactly how he described it, or I mean, how the film is set out. And they both, mm. from the start of the relationship, recognize that they're in different stages of their lives. Yes, and they're looking for different things at that point in time. I mean, again, it's like it's a very understandable thing. But what? But what they was both so do acknowledge. Well, because they well, for, right? For it's just a small thing, but they do both acknowledge that you know they could talk with one another like you know nobody else they ever met, etc., yeah. etc. But I just do think that like they both kind of there's it was a ships in the night element to it where there, it was kind of like okay, this is the moment where I knuckle down, get in gear, and you know stop fucking around, um, and you know I'll I'll make the I'll make this thing work because I like I've really connected to this person, and it's instead. And it's like just an atypical thing. She's at one of his work things. She's kind of bored. And she says, you know, she'll go home. And the thing is, well, are you going to go home? Or are you going to go crash somebody else's wedding and meet another cisgender fuckboy? Bang that guy who looks like a Simpsons character with his huge overbite. But there you go. But like, you know, she purposefully kind of sought out that situation for sure. And Definitely. it was, the, it was you know, she just kind of made a poor choice. And it sucked because something about... Like, and the thing is, no, I would like. I'm probably sitting in judgment much more than the filmmaker is. But the thing that I did sort of find very sad is, I, I mean, I don't know, man. Like I, like I've met, I've met women who sort of have been through this, uh, and uh, it fucking sucks. Laughing at that, I've met women part. <laughs> uh, yeah, I agree. Yeah, I mean, it does. It is a. It's a tough situation. It is. It's like you said. It's just. This is. It's something that happens, and they've dramatized it. And I think the reason it, it's 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 resonating with people. I don't mm. know. Maybe we're you know we're a bit harsh at the start, saying that like I don't know that people are mis misreading it or something like that. I think it is just a film that resonates with people. But yeah, yeah this that 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 Guardian article that I was reading did kind of hail it as like it called they commented on the fact that the Julia character when she's speaking to the group of people as Julie herself puts it lobbing a grenade into a cozy gathering of her older lover's friends I feel like I know everything about male problems it's all in the books and movies where's the menstrual period orgasm and desire I feel like I can't name them off the top of my head 
but I feel mm. like I've seen a ton of films that that kind of go into those aspects. Yeah, for sure. But I, 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 I think whoever wrote that article, I think they they are kind of misreading the film there, because I do think this film is anti late wave third wave feminism. I think it is actively against it. What do you think, think it's saying? Like ladies actually want to be mothers. Yeah, I do actually. <laughs> like I, 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 very almost pretty directly. Like it reminded me in like there's a similar sort of sadness going on in. Francis Ha, but they deal with it in a less Scandinavian way, and it kind of has Still a sort of. Seen Francis Ha. It's really excellent, but it kind of haven't got around yeah. to. I won't ruin it, but it, you know, I mean, so I just committed to not ruining it. So there we go. <laughs> but like you know, it's basically like there's a similar sort of a sadness going on in that. I don't, like I don't know. Um, I would recommend thoroughly that people check this out. What well, what, w- did, what were you going to say about his other films, Joachim Trier? So, I mean, this is part of a, the Oslo trilogy and the other ones were reprise from 2006 and Oslo 31st of August from 2011. Plus he made a film Thelma as well, which is like a kind of horror film and he's he's done another couple of bits and pieces. But this is the first thing of his I've seen. The one that I saw was Louder Than Bombs. Oh, yeah. Um, and that was his English language debut. Yeah. I, Jesse Eisenberg. Yeah. I, I think I saw. I, I'm pretty sure I saw that in the cinema here, um, and uh, I did. I found it fair. <laughs> I remember thinking at the time, even I was thinking, this is really Scandinavian stuff. That's uh, mm. making like I didn't know he was a Scandinavian filmmaker. I just went along to see anything, as I remember. How was the audio mix? How do you mean? How how what was the volume like? Well, am I missing a joke? <laughs> yeah, because I, if it was quiet, louder I'd than go bombs. <laughs> I'd go to I'd take my I'd go back and and say to the person who sold me the ticket and go like it's not what you promised. It's just, it's like an in, I don't know. It's a film about like intense incidents happening to intense people in the suburbs. That kind of thing. Uh, and it's in watch... like New York or somewhere, right? Or New Jersey. Yeah, yeah. Do you ever watch In the Bedroom? Yeah. Did we not yeah. talk about that? Recently? Well, I think we did. Yeah. Yeah, I know what you were talking about. That sort of. That drama where the just people living lives of quiet desperation or whatever, just there you go. Yeah, it's fairly brutal. I would probably like I would take uh, the worst person in the world o- over that. Um, we watched another film on this um, podcast, another Scandinavian film, uh, Square. The Square. Yeah, and I would just like to comment us like, what is it with these boys and their goddamn deep thinking and uh, you know bumming me out? I'll say. <laughs> I remember finding well, that's, this. If you're, the colder the country, the more self-reflective nonsense you have to engage in. Yeah, for sure. Scotland's I mean, pretty bad for that. That's why Spain is still stuck on you know comedies where the punchline of a joke is a bra popping, boing. Yeah, someone farting. Yeah, yeah. Well, hell yeah, I like it. Go to the beach, play the guitar in the sun. You'll have a sing along. The things about Spanish culture. I lived in Spain for nine years. The things about Spanish culture that I didn't like when I was younger are now things that I do like and would like. A what, sense, the salt, salt life? Yeah, yeah, but without no alcohol, but yeah, just yeah. sort of like being happy on the beach with a big group of people in the sun. Yeah. And people spending time going for meals, like with a big family gathering and things like that. Yeah. That's why it's like people who have visited me um, over here, and, you know, obviously the conversation turns to the imaginary culture wars. And uh, they'll like people from Ireland. They'll all warn me that um, oh, it's coming here too. And I'm just I'm like no, 
because they just don't care about stuff like that. Like e- e- the, e- the, even the independence movement took August off. <laughs> you know what I mean? It has to. <laughs> it's fucking August. <laughs> what are we going to do? You know? Um, yeah, I love that about Spain. I love the fact that they're kind of just, you know, can we all have a meal together, please, and eat delicious food? I would like that. Take a walk afterwards, maybe. Because it's like, it's so alien to you and I growing up because our cultures are so focused on uh, drinking a minimum of seven pints every Saturday. Yes. Um, that like, I mean, we, I would like, we used to like, you know, laugh mockingly at how shocked and appalled Spanish people would be by that. Yeah. And they would be, they'd be like, and you know, because they didn't grow up in it, they'd be like, you drink how I've many beers? to come what around the hell? on that one. <laughs> <laughs> Like yeah yeah, I've, it's I've, not. I've, I've been to enough countries now where I'm like, ah shit, maybe yeah it's... yeah, maybe it's odd. Yeah, well, you only have to live outside of Ireland a little bit. Like even <laughs> I dr- I lived in like um beer famous Belgium, and um <laughs> you know like and of course hung out with mo- like mostly Irish people and like the Bel- the odd Belgian people we would hang around with would you know just be nursing their beers while we'd be like, uh, yeah. what's that eight percent? Give me two. <laughs> <laughs> Anyway. Well, this film uh, was nominated for two Oscars. Which ones? Best Original Screenplay and Best International Feature. Who's it up against an original screenplay? Yeah, Best Original Screenplay nominations are Belfast, Don't Look Up, King Richard, Licorice Pizza, and Worst Person in the World. So only King Richard I have not seen. And from the four I've seen, I would be, don't know where I would go. Worst Person in the World, it's all written in Norwegian. Yeah, which has got to count against it. Except for words like woman's plane and uh, what else? Woman's plane. He got, he got, he set himself up for that one. He got dunked on. Yeah. When she said to him, like, what's mansplaining? And then he went and said it. It's a, it's a, that's a rookie error. Never did. Yeah. You ju- yeah. That's why whenever ladies ask me anything these days, I just go, I don't I know. know. Maybe you would know. Probably, <laughs> probably you would know. <laughs> I think you probably know. Best solution. <laughs> So yeah, we'll see. And then best international film, it's up against Drive My Car, Flea. And that's the uh, biography of the Red Hot Chili Peppers bassist. The Hand Hell of yeah. God and Lunana, a yak in the classroom. Where's that last one from? <laughs> Bhutan. Where's Bhutan? Why have we not watched a yak in the classroom? We need to be watching that. Uh, Bhutan, isn't that like the super happy place near China? Where, like, oh yeah, where they all live in the mountains. Yeah. Train to Bhutan. That's what I want to get. <laughs> right. And then so, when you get, to, you get to the border, you have to get out and walk. Yeah, that's how they do. I, this was also on the list of uh, former President Barack Obama's 14 favorite films of 2021. Barack Obama does a favorite films list? Yeah, and favorite music. He's, he's a cool guy. You know that about him. He likes cool stuff. Can you give me some other examples of stuff he likes? Yeah. Happy Gilmore. Hell yeah! Jaws. No, he likes... So this is 2021 is... Well, I mean, you know he was like big into The Wire at the time. He was always like, oh my, yeah, he's the best I saw, character um, in anything ever. I saw uh, him interviewed by David Simon, actually. Yeah. Uh, his favorite films of 2021 were Drive My Car, Summer of Soul, West Side Story, The Power of the Dog, Pig, Passing, The Card Counter, Judas and the Black Messiah, The Worst Person in the World, Old Henry, The Last Duel, Tragedy of Macbeth, Come On, Come On, and Quo Vadis, Ada. Mm. This guy's like a, a Peter Bradshaw, President Bradshaw. That's like, he, this is his like indie film credentials. He likes all the cool yeah. stuff, and then he's got some big guns in there. Well, Say what a... you like about drone strikes, but that's some good taste. What was that last one called? Covada? 
Kovadis Ada. It's uh, I've heard about Serbia or something. Is it not about like the uh, Balkans? How do you spell it? I've I've heard of that film. Quo Vade. Quo Quo. It's uh, it's it's a Bosnian film. It means where are you going, Ada? I believe it is about. Oh, it's about the Srebrenica massacre. I've heard that is very good. That sounds right up my street. I'm gonna yeah. Yeah, I I was. I did I not put that up for a toss? I was going to. I don't know if I did, but I would very much like to watch that. I'm quite interested. I'm very interested in, in the Balkans in general, and I've considered going to Serbia. Apparently, it's a wonderful place to visit, really. I've been to Bosnia before, but just over a wee bit of it on the coast. Mm. Was it nice? It was very nice. It was a nice 10 kilometers or so. But would you say quite nice? Yeah, My sister lives in nice. Bosnia. She says it's quite mm. nice. Uh, yeah. Okay, you got any trivia about this, motherfucker? Well, there's only two cast members as far as I'm concerned. And the first yes. one is Renata Reinschwe, mm-hmm. who plays Yulia. She, you know well, she won Best Renata? Actress. Won a Best can. Actress at Cannes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That's right. At Cannes. Well, what I read in that uh, Observer interview that I saw today, she moved to Edinburgh when she was 17. Hmm. She originally planned to go to Costa Rica but because she wanted to go somewhere warm. But she saw that there were low-cost flights to Edinburgh for one pound. So she came here when she was here, because I'm in Edinburgh. She came here when she was 17, and she started working in a bar. And then she, uh, she got involved in the Fringe. Of course she did. Mm-hmm. And then she became an actor, and she moved back to Oslo and did all her acting training and stuff like that. And uh, very recently, she was going to quit acting to become a full-time carpenter, because she had just renovated a house. Her name is close to renovated, actually, so it would be that would be quite useful. That's didn't have to do much. I I think if I was single, I'd I'd kind of be in love with her right now. Yeah, she seems like uh, she seems like she doesn't really care about the whole acting thing, but she is about to get thrust into this whole world of Hollywood. Yeah, I imagine she's going to get roles and, and stuff because. If she wants, you know, them. she's yeah. People, especially right, like this, is a very zeitgeisty film for the UK because it's just coming out next week, mm. and I've seen that the everything's sort of gearing up, and it's it's captured people's attention and imagination. So yeah, she hasn't done very much acting wise, but I think she's going to go on to do a lot. She's thirty four, mm-hmm. so she's got another year or two, and then she's done. But still, <laughs> well, but, and um, good two years ahead of her. And she'll get the lads out if if you ask. Who else is there? Is there anybody else? There's the other guy. Yeah, there's Anders Brevik from 22nd of July. 22 July. What? And uh, the guy who plays Axel, Anders Danielson Lier. He played Anders Brevik in the Paul Greengrass 22 I watched July that. Film. I really enjoyed it. Well, I mean, yeah, no, fuck it. I did. I did. I really enjoyed it. I, I didn't recognize him at all. He looks, uh, I mean, in this film, I, again, I don't know him from anything. He's in the other um, Joachim Trier Oslo trilogy films. He looks unwell throughout this film, I would say. That yeah. when you find out that he's suffering from terminal ca- cancer, you're like, okay, that is believable. He, not in terms of personality, but in terms of career, he's definitely based on Robert Crumb, right? Oh, you mean the the character? I thought the you were Fritz talking the about the actor. Guy. I thought you were saying that, like... Yeah, no. No, he's based, or uh, I feel like, is it, I think it's based on some Scandinavian artist. Oh, okay, maybe. fair enough, yeah. We got anything yeah, else so on that this? Was Ant- no, so that was Anders Danielson Lee. Those are, they're, everyone else is just like, they haven't done, you know, they're just, they're Norwegian-y actors. They're trying to just do all Norwegian stuff. 
they're walking around paying a million Norwegian bucks. I don't know the currency in, of Norway. In tax, <laughs> but still living quite well besides. <laughs> yeah. They have yeah. A, I, I have you been to Norway? I feel like I've asked no, you this I haven't. before. Have and you? The answer was no, me neither. No. So I don't know if I've even particularly remember seeing Oslo in film. It looks like it looks like a nice place. I think I've seen one other Norwegian film, but I'm struggling to remember it right now. I remembered it the, during the week when I was watching this and trying to think of one other Norwegian film. It's clearly not that memorable. What about that Troll Hunter thing? Did you watch that? Oh, I did watch Troll Hunter. Yeah, so I suppose that's. And there's another that thing. The one the, I was thinking there was of. like a big sort of big wave in a fjord type disaster film. I haven't seen that. I think it might be called The Wave or something. I, these are that in Troll Hunter. I watched the first five minutes of and never finished. Wasn't for you. I think I had some problem syncing subtitles or something for the Troll Hunter one. And of course, as I've mentioned before, I, last year I watched a film in Norwegian with German subtitles about a stand-up ah, yes, comedian who got cancer. They love their cancer, which in German, as I remember from the subtitles, is Krebs. <laughs> it's a throwback to last year if you're a long-term listener. Indeed, yes, Krebs. Krebs. Uh, so Krebs. Alex got Krebs. He did, Axel. But, Axel. Uh, I was going to go through my copy of the film and pause on each of the chapter headings and then just read the chapter heading and we could go through the plot that way. But someone on Wikipedia has already done all that and broken it down by chapter. It's amazing. That's exactly what I would have done, and someone has already done it. So I'll read the chapter heading and then a few, uh, just a couple of sentences, and then we can comment chapter by chapter. Hell yeah, let's do it. It's great. Okay, so prologue. Julie is a medical student in Oslo. (laughs) All right, no. Voice (laughs) (laughs) part. Prologue. Julie is a medical student in in Oslo who, after having an epiphany, decides to pursue psychology and break up with her boyfriend. We got a lot to say about this. She then Mm. begins dating one of her professors. After going through her camera roll on her phone, she then decides to become a photographer. While out with her next boyfriend, a model, she meets Axel Willmann, an acclaimed comic artist 15 years her senior Despite their age gap, the two hit it off and begin a relationship. Okay. There, there's How definitely, did you react to the prologue? Well, there, first of all, I would like to say there's definitely a scene or two cut out of it where she tries stand-up comedy. We know there is. Like, <laughs> yes. just admit it. All right? Give the people what they want. Second of all, <laughs> could the breakup be more Scandinavian? I don't remember that breakup. Oh, by me again? Just a very cold... Just like a, a conversation, like, do you think, I don't think this is working. Do you think, I don't think. And then it just kind of simmers out and that's it. I forget the exact dialogue, but I remember thinking, this is a very unhelpful comment. <laughs> but I remember thinking, God damn, that's that's a, a, a Scandinavian way to do it. <laughs> we were, I mean, you're Irish, I'm Scottish. When I mm. saw like most of the actors in this film, I looked to them and went like, yeah, they could be from either of our countries. Yes. And kind of the same emotional reactions to things emotionally what? recalcitrant adults it's just loads of drinking yeah i'm not going to think about this until i'm drunk <laughs> <laughs> then it will haunt me for years i don't want I to think about think. this until tomorrow when i'm afraid yeah. of everything <laughs> yes <laughs> i've got the fear again yeah that type of thing this is not racist as we covered in the first episode with the square we're allowed to make fun of this accent yeah, they're white guys. Come on. Exactly. So it's all okay. So don't worry about it. Don't worry about it. Yeah, I, again, this. so she's a bit of a dilettante. She can't quite settle on what she wants to do. And that feels like a very modern problem as well. Mm. Of just like, uh, 
I don't know. She she goes into she's clearly obviously she's very very intelligent. She's super smart. She's a medical student. Mm. Then she wants to go into psychology, but then is when it starts getting <laughs> when she wants to become a, a photographer. That's when the big the big alarm yeah. bell starts ringing. Well, one thing that I was like thinking is just like I mean, I feel like her parents might have intervened and just say, "Look, fucking finish something." Well, her mum is portrayed as going like, that's nice, honey. And her dad, mm. obviously, like, her relationship with her father is somewhat strained, as we see later on. Yeah. Shall I move into chapter one? Do it. Chapter one, The Others. Julie, now dabbling in writing, spends a weekend with Axel at his parents' house. Axel floats the idea of starting a family to Julie, but Julie says she's not ready and is unsure when she will be especially, that should be especially, after watching Axel's niece having a tantrum. Yeah, you must be looking forward to that. Later, a drunken party ends in disaster when the wife of Axel's brother hits her head with a lamp, leading to a heated discussion that Axel and Julie overhear. However, the next morning, Julie watches the couple reconcile as well as Axel's colouring with his nephews. I did not see any of the family connections. I did not understand that they were in-laws or anything like that. I thought. Oh, I did, yeah. I, th- I actually think I they captured that. That, that buzz quite well. I also just, you know, for whatever reason, find it, you know, affecting where you just see people in a realistic sort of way hanging out with their kids. thought that was cool. I thought that was uh, um, the bit with the niece having a tantrum and they just carry her off to bed. I thought that was very well done. I've, I've seen that. Yeah, she's running around screaming, going, I don't want to go and that's what you'll be doing shortly. I'm going to handle it much better than that. I'm going to be a much more zen parent. Okay. Famous last words. This film is all about legacy, and this podcast is the legacy that in 20 years when your daughter listens to it, she'll be like, so so that's which actress's breasts my father admired. <laughs> <laughs> You're really leaving her with a treasure trove there. <laughs> I listened to the Batman episode and I was a little bit put off by how many times I commented on what a hot piece of ass Lily Kravitz was. Need to get need to stop contributing such sound bites to my permanent record. Chapter 2, Cheating. While walking home from a publishing event for Axel, Julie crashes a wedding reception and meets Ivan, a barista. Though both are in relationships, they spend the entire night together sharing intimacies, but arguably never cheating on their significant others. They exchange only their first names and plan no further encounter. Is this cheating in your book, Mr. Tiernan? Would you be happy if your wife went off and met yeah. a rat-faced barista? They should have the courage of their convictions. And the thing is, is like, he's only interesting, as we discover later in the movie, he's only interesting because he's at a distance. Because he's, she's idolized him. She's put his pussy on a pedestal, so to, to coin a phrase. And that's it. And grass totally, is greener. This definitely counts as cheating. And I hated him immediately, I will say, also. I've commented on his overbite enough at this point that I feel like mm. that's what I don't like about him. But I don't know. He seemed like a he seemed like an all right young man. But at the point when they were sniffing each other... Oh, no, I'll tell you. So the sniffing each other's sweat, for mm. me, that was crossing a line. But then watching each other urinate and when she farted in front of him in a, in a <laughs> toilet. Yeah, yeah. That yeah. sealed the deal. I was like, I'm sorry, sister, but that is cheating. That's totally cheating. Yeah, it's not cool. It's not cool. It's not big, and it's not, it's not clever. clever. <laughs> it's not clever. 
But as, you know, she likes a soft penis, as they comment on. Yeah, I did like that so. about her. I, I, mm-hmm. I, I have to say, that seems, she did. that's well, a good she character trait. She my heart there. Yeah, yeah, like yeah The yeah. fart really did put the other way. It felt like, yeah, it's like MacGruber or something. There's a lot of farting on Tyler content there. Yeah. I felt they had to put in a, a fart after, you know, the pee, because otherwise it would have just been too sexy. <laughs> yes, it was very sexy. <laughs> The fart just, uh, yeah, just relieved some of the tension a little bit. Thank God for that. Well, I would so say, anyway, that, we, you know, I, I didn't find this film sexy at all. Um, no, me and, neither. No, and uh, I'll say, like, I'm, I'm more susceptible than I might have been at one time in my life because, uh, you know, I, I uh, steer clear of all that pornography. You know, I don't be watching that. So, like I told you a few weeks ago from when I was re-watching Barry Lyndon, and just my pants just get tied in the opening seat of that where she has to find the ribbon in his cousin's boobies. But yeah, nothing on on nothing on here for Legacy. me. Legacy. Legacy again. This is great. Oh my God, yeah. I'm going to be a, a victim like Pamela Anderson or those people Nitram killed. That's right. <laughs> okay. <laughs> There's no cutting around that. So, chapter three. Oral sex in the age of Me Too. You'll be well willing to comment on this. Julie writes a blog post about feminism and oral sex. Axel is impressed with it and encourages her to post it online where it receives attention. It's quite a short scene, right? Yes. This was commented on in the Observer article I was reading. Oh, uh, do tell. Uh, just the, the author, the writer of the article said, the film interrogates such millennial issues as can you be a feminist and still enjoy oral sex? Do they talk about like receiving or giving it? Giving it. It was about whether it's okay for because the she's Julie's discussing a friend of hers who says that she enjoys having her mouth used. Ah, yes, as a sex receptacle, a sexceptacle, if you wish. Even if you I do, do, you do. Yeah. So yeah. I don't know that the way that that is written up in that article feels slightly dismissive. I don't know. It just doesn't. Plus, well, uh, well, I mean, it all it uh, kind of um, ticks that negative box of uh, uh, writing in movies. And if you just like, you know, like whenever you see somebody writing an article that was a sensation in a movie <laughs> or something like that, and it's always like a paragraph or two and really vacuous <laughs> and makes no points yes. whatsoever. So there's that. Your writing is you know? really good. It's nice. Yeah, yeah. Oh, we'll except like in re- except in real life, it's like uh, like you know any editor would say, "What's the point of the first paragraph? What's the point <laughs> of the second paragraph? You're losing me. Condense well, what you've written here into two lines and then start writing the article." That's what they would say. But anyway, chapter four: Our own family. Julie celebrates her thirtieth birthday at her divorced mother's home along with Axel and Julie's grandmother. Yes. Julie's estranged father fails to attend, claiming he injured his back. Days later, Julie and Axel visit her father. Julie asks him if he has read her article, and he claims he was unable to open the link. He makes excuses to decline Axel's invitation to visit him and Julie and Oslo. On the way home, Axel tells Julie she needs to make her own family. It's not your fault, Julie. It's not your fault. He is effectively... Don't you do this to me, Axel, not you. He is effectively like the, the worst, though, isn't he? That ca- the father, he's just a detestable character. He's not great, but he's with his new family now. He loves his real daughter, his second one. First time was just a misfire, and now he's got his football-playing daughter, the good one. Yeah, and he goes to see her football games. It's yeah. awful. See, well, I feel like I've seen that in something recently as well, where the parent has a good relationship with the stepchildren, but not with his first 
bored. I have no uh, idea what it was. Yes. But something of late that we watched. I think so too, but I can't think of it off the top of my head. So I've, I, I, is that like a is that either a trope or is that something that does that commonly occur that a parent is like maybe not in the right. I don't know. They're they're have like a mental. They have some kind of issues when they're a parent to their first children, but then when they remarry and have stepchildren or or have you know have children. Sorry, that are like half brother or sister to their firstborn. Are they just like in a better place in their life or something? And are they make a go of it the second time around? Yeah, I'd say that's probably that? a trope in life. I'd say that's something that mm. has happened enough to have appeared in fiction. Mm. Yeah, I mean. Yeah, well, I suppose, I mean, it might stem, well, stem from the fact that people from her father's generation probably got married an awful lot younger and, you know, yeah. consequently, you know, ended up regretting that and their first just daughters. Just drink more. Just need to drink Solution. more, yeah. Swallow down your sadness. This is it. Chapter five, bad timing. While working at a bookstore, Julie encounters Ivan and his girlfriend, Suniva. Julie and Ivan talk while Suniva waits outside. While having dinner with Axel's brother and sister-in-law, Axel complains about the cinematic adaptation of his comic series, Bobcat, in which his politically incorrect series is turned into a family-friendly Christmas film, leading to a complete monologue that makes Julie feel bored and ignored. Julie, feeling disillusioned, dreams that she goes on a date with Ivan where they fall in love. Because of this, she breaks up with Axel, but they have sex one last time before she leaves his apartment, though she implies that they could reconcile at some point. It's quite like, a lot in this bit. Well, yeah, and for, not least of all, it contains um, an instantly celebrated, iconic sequence, an ISIS, if you will. And uh, yeah, uh, I was just trying something there. Never mind. Wait, what did you say? I didn't even catch I said, uh, and it also contains uh, an instantly celebrated iconic sequence, <laughs> okay. an ISIS. Okay, if you will. Right. sorry, I apologize. Yeah, yeah. Leaning into the S sound on the celebrated with nice. the C there. Okay. But yeah, uh, no, yeah, no, no, yeah. never so mind. That's, that's, I mean, that's why I didn't pick up. The sequence is fantastic. Do you know how they shot it? Yeah, they told everyone to just stop moving. That's literally how they did it. Yeah, I'd imagine. So the yeah. only time where I've seen that bad of late, and of late I mean within the last 10 years or slightly around then, was in mm. X-Men First Class where Kevin Bacon is frozen. <laughs> and he's frozen the same way that Michael J. Fox might be frozen. Because there's <laughs> quite a lot of movement going on. And he's not the best of effects. So at least in this, they got guys who were able to freeze like their frosty emotions mm. and not move i liked it yeah that was a nice scene i don't people seem to really love it i thought it was f- good though i mean i enjoyed the scene well enough i don't I'd say think it's fairly it's the best iconic thing i've ever seen no i don't know do so. i but it's like it's memorable like you know um it didn't strike me as being that that much out of the ordinary or that noteworthy even yeah fair enough maybe i'm just that jaded i don't know but I thought it worked really well dramatically in terms of the film yes, as well, um, because it's it's bas- it's that it's like a flight of fancy, it's a daydream, and then you get back to this breakup conversation with Axel. It reminds which is me a bit r- of like Five Hundred Days of Summer or something. A little bit, yeah. That that breakup scene with Axel is like um, it's quite it's it's affecting and it's sad, and you believe him when he says that. You know, he's like you do, you don't know what you're giving up here. Yeah, that's why I say to all my exes. Yeah, just once a week. You don't know what you got, text. Honey. <laughs> yeah, you don't know what you're missing out on. 
<laughs> company I, by, and then I, by I, I dust off the I dust off the Pam and Tommy VHS. <laughs> <laughs> Oi. Anyway, that breakup was affecting. They have sex one more time, etc. And it's just yeah. This is the point at me when it starts getting sad, particularly in the next chapter when we get to know Ivan a little bit more. Yeah. So chapter six is Finnmark Highlands. I looked that up. Finnmark's right in the north of Norway. I kind of thought that they were both going to die while camping. (laughs) I thought that would have been an interesting (laughs) turn of events, but no. It's the history of Ivan and Suniva's relationship. Uh, After a close encounter with a reindeer while on a camping trip, Suniva is compelled to research her ancestry. I was laughing a lot at this part, which determines that she is 3.1%. I mean, it's deliberately sending her up, isn't it? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. This leads her to become, and I mean, she sends off for like a kind of 23 in me as well and finds out she's 3.1% Sami of the like native people. This leads her to becoming an avid climate change and indigenous people's rights activist. Ivan begins to grow exhausted with their restrictive lifestyle, at which point he encounters Julie in the bookstore. All the stuff of them, like, kind of having, I don't know what they're taking or drinking, but, like, Mm. kind of drug-type episodes of finding themselves among these indigenous people. Yeah, 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 exactly. Ayahuasca, that's the one. But this is what I mean. It's like, this isn't... It's very modern. This is completely, yeah, this is really, really poking at a certain modern way of living. Yeah. The whole film. Yeah. And this is probably the pointiest it gets, I would say. Chapter seven, a new chapter. Julie and Ivan move in together. Though he has since broken up with Suniva, he still follows her on Instagram, which does not trouble Julie. Yeah, I wouldn't. Very, very short. Yeah, I don't know. It's kind of like... It's very recognizable, though. You can see I've certainly encountered similar situations and... uh, it usually w- ended worse. Would it have bothered you? Or is this girls it discovering the other way the- around. Uh, okay. <laughs> and it did bother the ladies. A little bit. Yeah. It would probably bother me, I think, but I've never been in that situation. They find out I was following Pamela Anderson on Instagram. The ex, huh? Mm-hmm. I consider her an ex. <laughs> I don't know if she does. <laughs> Oi. Chapter eight. My least favorite chapter, Julie's Narcissistic Circus. Ivan hosts a small party where one of his friends uncovers Ivan's stash of psychedelic mushrooms. After consuming them, Julie envisions herself completely naked, older, and with a kid in her breast. I didn't mind that part. She feels <laughs> vulnerable at the... I didn't mean it like that. She feels vulnerable at the gaze of all her former lovers and even Bobcat who eats her child and a hot dog. Then she sees her father sitting on a couch and she sits in front of him angrily throwing her bloody tampon. When she gets up, she realizes that she made a mess in Ivan's apartment. That's a polite way to say that. The following night, she (laughs) confides in Ivan that she can be herself around him, but he seems to ignore her claims. I I didn't think this was a good portrayal of mushrooms. No. A lot of things don't get mushrooms right, I would say. Yeah. Yeah. But I did, I, I mean, I did think that her seeing herself with a sort of old lady body mm. was quite effective. But yeah. I read that more as like, maybe not the way the film implied it. I read that more as like, that's the reality, that is what's going to happen. But was that supposed to be like, if she becomes a mother, that's what's going to happen? Mm. I just read that as like, hey, that's what's going to happen. So, you know, whatever you do, this is where you're going. Yeah. This is. I, I, but just, I don't like the animated bobcat thing. That annoyed me. 
Yeah, I suppose it kind of... I don't of, like uh, that type of shroom trip. Yeah, it, plus it's a bit sort of... The reason I sort of have the issues with... Uh, like, I can't... There probably are... Is, like, I do I do think in... Um, I did think it was well done in Yellow Jackets, just the, particularly the visual aspect of it. But I think I know, like, because psychedelics are never, are rarely so direct as this. You know what I mean? I've seen a decent, I've seen a decent, like, mushrooms or acid trip in something within the last year or two. But again, I can't think why it was. But it was just the sort of looking at surfaces, like looking at carpets or surfaces and colors sort of fluctuating a little. Mm. And that's my experience. The chapter is effective in kind of sending Ivan up as a bit of a plonker, though, isn't it? In what sense? He seems all right to me. He's mm. just like having to, I mean, except for having a big mushroom stash. Yeah, no, I don't know. I, I, I suppose what I would say is it's just the way he reacts to her the next day. Okay, I thought that was very caring. I thought he came across nice. You think? Yeah, in, in what sense? I thought he was really sort of said like, hey, no... He, I thought he treated her the next day as being like, uh, it's completely understandable. We've, we've all been there, pal. We've all Yeah, but that's what many. I mean. It's very kind of buddy-buddy, but she's clearly very distressed. I, I guess. I don't know. I don't... This is one of those things that, again, I'm looking at from a perspective of, of someone who doesn't, engage, it doesn't do any of that stuff anymore. Mm. So maybe, I mean, I'm st- I, she doesn't seem over... <laughs> I see people that are far, far worse than her all the time, so... Yeah, but I don't think she... Like, that's what I'm saying, is, like, I think she's more disturbed by her visions than by the mess she made, you know? Oh, okay, of the dealing with the father issues or something, or dealing with the child... All of that stuff, like she doesn't really bring any of that up with Ivan, which it seems like she would, but it's just they're not that connected really like that, you know? Okay, I don't know. So my experiences with mushrooms have always been that like it was working through something mentally that I don't need to discuss with anyone afterwards. Like for me personally, that's how I Mm. read this too. It's always been like it's not been many times in my life, and it was a long time ago. Mm. But um, I, it's always been like I had some intense emotional reactions to issues of things that I'd been dealing with for a long time, mm. and the mushrooms were like a kind of again like a sort of letting off steam in a way, and then I didn't need to talk about what I saw with anyone afterwards. Yeah, but although like- I would maybe, but in a kind of like, well, that was fucked up. But, like, that's what I'm getting, like, is, like, so her visions are all kind of centered around the fact that, like, you know, time is moving on and, well, you know. It just is. Yeah, there might, yeah, there might be some things that she would want to get to, you know. And one of those would certainly probably involve a meaningful relationship, I would say. And it just kind of then, it seems like she's just waking up in a college apartment. It's like, it's almost like she's in the position that Axel was in at the start of the movie with Ivan. Yeah, fair enough, I guess. It was just my. This is when it like really, really started to get sad for me. This is what I'm saying, because it like particularly with the next two chapters, I found. Okay, chapter nine is uh, Bobcat Rex Christmas. While exercising at the gym, Julie watches an NRK TV interview in which Axel defends his Bobcat comics against a feminist critique. When the host accuses his comics of being sexist, Axel goes into a fiery defense of his work. There's I have a quote here from Renata Rensch. Uh, When she was asked about this in that Observer article, she said, I remember when Me Too came to Norway and this happened. 
I just pulled out of the whole movement because I felt the women were so aggressive. I really felt that's the wrong way to do it because we need men also. They, of course, feel really, really bad and vulnerable for having had these views that were imposed on them by society. They aren't just bad people who were born like that, so it's really, really complicated. To solve it together and talk about it is the most important thing. So the, cool. the, the, the observer, uh, the, this journalist, was really hoping to reel her in. <laughs> <laughs> really? say something well that's how it read was like he's getting yeah, yeah. getting her to say something of like yeah that me too scene like it really spoke to me because like that's been my experience but like you know renata did not say that she went the other way mm. but this i don't know watching this scene it, it I, I we've we're so far we've 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 endured like back and forth on that topic so much i maybe yeah where we us especially Overkill. i feel like we've because we've listened to too many podcasts and read too many people True. talking about it to now when i even see like you know scenes like that in a film i'm kind of like oh god especially yeah. when it's like a film b- b- by like a male male writers mm. i immediately kind of just go like oh, for fuck's i agree sake. I, I, I don't I want to deal with this right now <laughs> I don't think it contributes anything to the film either. No, no, no. No, except for the fact that these ladies give Axel cancer. No, yeah, it doesn't it doesn't add anything that we haven't seen in a million other places, but no, it's maybe a dull the moment, average film goer is not that on board with the whole thing or like is not that familiar with me too. I don't mm. know. He definitely know comes I, across I under as the victim or in the scene. Yeah, well that's how I would expect it to go though mm. from I'm just assuming from this film, from everything that what this film stands for and the people who made it and the characters, I do kind of expect, I don't expect them to come away at the end and and for him to go like, actually, I was wrong. My bobcat was bad and I'm a bad person. Next up, what is this? This is the pregnancy chapter, right? Chapter 10, first person singular. Axel's brother happens upon Julia work and discloses that Axel has inoperable pancreatic cancer. Sometime later, Ivan comes across a short story story Julie had written. When he assumes it is based on her real-life experiences, Julie angrily denies this and belittles him. Yes. You I do can't think even her... read, you idiot. <laughs> <laughs> I, I do think her belittling of him is maybe warranted. It might be a little bit warranted. I think he was just trying to be nice, and then she's like, you don't fucking know anything, you dick. That would be yeah. like me, who's barely literate, giving someone feedback and going like, "Yeah, this is nice." You, you know, you're probably right, but I was, I was probably, I was almost more on her side than that. And I know you're, pro- you're actually right, and she's probably, you're not supposed to be on her side than that. But I was she like, drops yeah. like a nuclear bomb where he's like, "That's hurtful," because she, mm. he, she says to him like, "Do you want to be serving people coffee when you're 50? Mm. And he's like, "Actually, I was going to get out at 49." Thank you very much. Yeah. Chapter 11. Positive. Maybe I was concerned that I was Ivan and uh, like that's why I was angry at him for serving coffee. Chapter 11. Positive. Yes. Julie learns she's pregnant and delays telling Ivan. She visits Axel in the hospital and they review their lives apart. Axel confides that he is devastated by the prospect that he no longer has a future. And Julie admits that she's pregnant. Despite his assertions that she would be a good mother, she's unsure of whether she wants to keep the baby. Returning home, Julie finally tells Ivan about her pregnancy, and they decide to separate while she determines whether she wants to keep the child. So all my chips are in the middle of the table right now. 
you know, the, emotionally for this film. And yeah, this is when it just started. It's just too sad. It, like, just I found it really, really, really sad. Cause yeah. she... I, f- I found uh, Axel talking about legacy and him talking about the past to be sad. Mm. I found it, I mean, sad in as much as his concept of needing legacy. I find the people, I find people who talk about wanting to have some sort of legacy is this kind of narcissistic, I don't know, it's the most unrealistic thing ever because we're yeah. all going to be forgotten. Yeah. Everyone. The only legacy that you have is children, I would say. I think, I don't like, I, I wouldn't even think of children in terms of, legacy it's just i'm sorry for saying this but it's just like it's just this amazing relationship that you get to have and it's so meaningful and it like it almost has the effect of alcohol but without all the negative stuff in that it can kind of it'll succeed in you in helping you put all your petty nonsense behind you and just mm. you know i like i'm like that's that's why i said it's like alcohol but without all the shitty bits like it'll fucking like literally you know, put focus you on where you should be focused, basically. Yeah. Um, and I think that that speech with Axel on legacy is probably there for that reason. Even though I I thought that was a little bit clunky myself, but I do when people harp on about legacy, I <laughs> I just think to my like you'd want to be fairly thick to even think about legacy. You clearly don't know that we're all going to die and be forgotten, as you just said. You know why? Why would you focus on that? Just give yourself something, you know, tiny that with half of your DNA to focus on. That's my argument. Sorry, it might not be a popular one. Or start a podcast. That's a legacy. Yes, it is. But I did. I wondered how you, as like a father and a Catholic bigot, I wondered how you would. (laughs) (laughs) I wondered how you would react to the pregnancy, etc. Like I said, sad. Yeah, because it's like I think because the thing have more to say about it. But the reason that. One of the reasons that this is not an issue that is told that often in cinema is because, and also one of the reasons that I feel that people genuinely undersell how awesome it is having a kid is because it's really, really hard for some people to have kids and they really, really want them. Mm. And it's tough. Like, it's just, that's, there's no other way to describe that. That is tough. You know, I, partic- would, I mean, particularly for women. I, I don't know if this is a controversial thing to say, but I would agree that ultimately having children, procreation is really the point of life. Yeah. And I chose not to choose life. <laughs> I chose something else. Yes, that's right. You chose uh, PlayStation 5, <laughs> please which do, I, I, I am starting 5. to think might have been, might, been the right choice. Take the best, like the best orgasm you ever had <laughs> multiply it by 3.7 chapter th- 12 yes but so okay if you want if you want to add on to that you can otherwise i'm going to say chapter 12 Ch- say chapter 12 chapter 12 everything comes to an end does it not mm. axel takes julie to the building where he grew up and was inspired to become an artist he tells her that he wishes he could continue living with her, not simply live on as a memory. I don't actually want to die. Can I keep living with you? She later <laughs> receives a voice. <laughs> I've just realized I don't want to die of terminal cancer. She later receives a voicemail from Axel's brother, reporting that his condition has worsened and that he will not make it through the night. She sadly walks the streets of Oslo and watches the sunrise the following morning. I thought she was going to go to the hospital, but respect... 
mm. because the family, her, his family were all there. So she's like, nah, I'm just going to go and chill by the, the water. Yeah. While showering, Julie miscarries and kind of ruefully laughs. That was, it's tough. Yes, it didn't it, make I me cry or anything. Like, it just made me, okay. you know, it was just a lot of pathos in it. I don't know. I, f- I found her miscarriage to be like, you know, I was a sort of like, whew, that problem, one problem solved. Yeah, but that's the thing. That's that kind of, uh, there's that, like, the, and the film takes that as well, that, that kind of glibness to it. It's like, well, at least, you know, I mean, nature's made its decision for me. I don't have to think about it anymore. Yeah. And I think uh, that's but do, fine. Do you, not, well, do you not find that incredibly sad? Because she's just basically, nope. no, because she's carried on to that side of the decision, that end of uh, the emotional spectrum in, in her reaction, just to get her away from thinking about, you know, what could have been. Epilogue. Sometime later, Julie is working as an on-set photographer for a film shoot. I, at the start of that scene, was worried there was going to be like, here, they're filming the adaptation of the story that Julie wrote. But thank God, no, she's just an on-set photographer on some random thing. She photographs an actress and then, gazing through a window, sees the actress outside with Ivan and a baby. She returns home to edit the day's photos and drink herself into a stupor. That part well, isn't true. She no, she has to. Place. She has to edit the um, photos quickly because, of course, later that evening she's got several open mics. Um, <laughs> That's true. Yeah, she's crushing the Oslo stand-up comedy scene. <laughs> <laughs> Oi, yeah, I would say, like, you know, proceed with caution. I won't watch this again. You know, I could recommend I, it well, to people. Certainly, it did but... not bother me at all. In that, I didn't have a strong emotional reaction to it. I. I reacted much like a Norwegian might react to all of their experiences in life. Oh, that went, is happening over there. Look uh, at it. <laughs> <laughs> I can feel my soul leaving my body now. That is okay. I do not believe so in the existence goes. of a soul. Yeah. It's, I imagine this type of thing to be more affecting for you. This is like a live action Incredibles. <laughs> Very similar film. Brad Bird's the worst person in the world. I can't lose you again. That's the point in uh, Incredibles where I cried. I can understand that. Is she the worst person in the world? She's not even the worst person in Oslo. So uh, my ex-boyfriend died of cancer. And you know how that goes, ladies. Am I right? (laughs) (laughs) I would would just want to watch her do (laughs) stand-up. Yeah, absolutely. With the same group of people every week, (laughs) laughing at the thing she said last week as well. Yeah. Slightly different inflection this week. The end. I'm going to go down and uh, hug my wife and uh, baby. (laughs) (laughs) I'm going to go and put on Pam and Tommy. Hell yeah. I mean, the video, not the series. Oh, right. Well, yeah, that's good too. Well, next week we're going to be watching uh, some German stuff. (laughs) A couple of German films. Hell yeah. Looking forward to it already. Erdman and Victoria which I believe is about uh, Posh Spice. Yes, the origin story of Posh Spice. Nice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. All right, that'll do for an That's ending. That's the end. That is a goddamn end, folks. Bye. I love you. Long one. Bye. Love you too. Bye. No reason, no reason.